My parents' room is an uncatalogued planet, a night sky presence unknown to scientists but feared by the secret faithful who trade rumors of its mystery. I stood before this door once and didn't go in. That's the extent of the legend, really. But my journey down the hall that night, down the same stream through which my father carries me now in my wheeling memory, hints at pockets in the story that are still obscure, which will never find light. What if I'd gone in? I didn't go in. I stood there a minute and then turned away. If I'd turned around, what then? There are several possibilities. They open onto their own clusters of new ones, and there's an end somewhere, I'm sure, but I'll never see it. I feel and remember my father's arms underneath me when I've come home from the hospital. He is not strong enough to do this, but he is forcing himself to do it. I am heavy in his arms, and I feel safe there, but I am lost, and I need constantly to be shoring up the wall that holds my emotions at bay, or I will feel something too great to contain. I see the painting, those cowboy huntsmen at dusk, and they surprise me a little, and I feel my breath catch in my chest when I scan the bathroom, and then I arc my great head a little to the right toward my parents' room, which disappears from view as my father nudges at the base of my bedroom door with his foot, and then turns jaggedly on his heels, so we'll both fit through the frame. He lowers me onto my new bed, the one from the hospital supply place on white, and I feel the hot egg crate mattress underneath the sheet. Dad squeezes my hand, like I remember him doing when I was very small. We look at each other. Teamwork. This happens several times a day, or it's a single thing that's always happening somewhere. A current into which I can slip when I need to remember something. I saw this kid playing on the big metal wheel with the soldered piping, the merry-go-round. The merry-go-round at the fair is for babies, but the playground kind can throw you into the air at high speed. They have to put wood chips around it to break your fall, just in case. This happened twice while I was watching. The kids spun the wheel faster and faster, jumped on, tried to crawl into the still hub, and lost his footing, and ended up sailing into the air and coming down hard. He'd lie there and laugh, dizzy, and then punch reset on the whole scene. At my grandparents' place, after the last fish went missing, they filled the pond in with cedar chips. I used to play out there when I was little. It was a half-hidden spot between the house and the garage, too small a space to think of as a yard, three cypresses, some rocks here and there, and the former pond. I remember the changeover from water to wood, the shift in tone. That was how I ended up conjuring the place now. I lived whole lives out there back then. The day they drained the pond, I'd gone out back by myself after dinner. This had been a lakeside clearing in a forest for me, a magic place of wizards and wandering nights. It was still magic without the water, but the magic was different now. I could sense it. I closed my eyes. When I opened them, I felt my mind working transformations. No lake, but a cave floor. Not trees, but torches burning with a mystic light. Behind them, the back wall of a cave. Before them, me, enthroned, my regal seat hewn from ancient rock, immovable, imperious. The throne was actually a single stone, brought in by the crew that filled in the pond, but under the weight of my small body I felt it sprout ornately decorated arms with claws at the ends and a bejeweled latticework back that climbed up several feet above my head. Transformed, it now boasted four short sturdy legs that terminated in great glowing orbs pressing hard into the earth beneath. I took control of the place, of the scene. I made it mine. Groans echoed in the cave. Brittle bones broke beneath the knees of my crawling subjects. 
We had moved from San Jose to Montclair a few months back. It had ruined something for me. I was having a hard time making new friends. I had grown receptive to dark dreams. I saw animal skins running down the cave floor, skull dust rising. Everyone in my orbit would have a terrible day. The arbiter of days had decreed it. From my increasingly improbable perch, I looked toward the dark heavens somewhere up beyond the imagined cave ceiling, and I pantomimed the aspect of a man thinking hard about what he might want to eat. And then I looked back down to the present moment, and I spoke. I am King Conan, I said. I thirst for blood. Backyard Conan, thrown together from half-understood comic books only, took several liberties with particulars. The Conan that the world knew didn't drink blood, wasn't ruthless and cold. In his original form, he'd lived to follow a warrior's code of honor. Enemies met death at his sword, and fellow barbarians shared in the plunder. But they were all men who lived by...